Welcome to Food Life Freedom, the podcast that explores the relationship between nutrition, our physical health, and our mental well-being. Today's episode is a must for anyone who has PCOS, and our special guest is full of knowledge and helpful advice about how you can support your body to manage PCOS symptoms without diets and food restriction. I'm Emma Townsend. I'm a UK registered dietitian and a certified intuitive eating counselor. I support clients to stop stressing over food rolls and to naturally eat in a way that supports their body and mind. This episode is brought to you by Reclaiming Your Food Freedom, a three-month supported program that brings you all the tools and support you need for a healthy relationship with food and your body. To learn more about how you can reclaim your food freedom, head to foodlifefreedom.com. And because we are all unique, this episode cannot offer personalized advice. Please use this as an opportunity to learn and explore, but if something does not sit with you, then it's not meant for your unique self. And if you have any health concerns, please seek personalized support from a registered healthcare provider. So I'm really excited to introduce our guest for today, who is Cordula. She's a registered dietitian and she specializes in women's health, fertility and gastroenterology. So we're going to have a discussion today on an anti-diet approach to PCOS. PCOS is polycystic ovarian syndrome. And I'm really excited for this conversation because it is a diagnosis that is very caught up in diet culture and often people diagnosed with PCOS don't receive individualized advice and treatment options. So Cordula, welcome. I'm really excited to have this conversation. I'm curious to learn what spiked your interest in this area of, of women's health. So my early 20s, I was diagnosed with PCOS and the care I received in the NHS really wasn't that great. I love the NHS, I still work in the NHS and I'm really passionate about it. But seeing it sort of from a patient perspective just wasn't great. Um, I was at the same time diagnosed with celiac disease. That wasn't correct either, but I was given a post-it note that just said the words oat, um, wheat and I think rice she put on there and she sent me on my way and I was like this is weird is this really how people get diagnosed with celiac disease um, I wasn't a dietitian at the time I had no idea what it even was honestly I had no idea I had only just come to the UK so my English wasn't great either um, and so at the same time I was diagnosed with these two things and it took me a really long time to sort of research it and the only thing they gave me for PCOS they just said go on the pill you'll be fine. Um, you might struggle to have babies if you wanted that in the future. That was literally the only thing they said. Oh, they said to me at the time, like, just be careful with your weight. But I was a lower weight, I would say as well, than I'm currently. So they never really emphasized it based on that. Um, I didn't really have a period. I maybe had one every 12 months or so, um, which was great for traveling. So it took me a little while to actually get it diagnosed because I wasn't that fast about it. Um, and it just wasn't great. Like the, the, none of it was great. The doctors weren't very friendly. They didn't really understand what it was. I think no one explained it to me. And I really ignored it, to be honest. Um, and then in my mid-20s, I started to become a dietitian and I started reading into PCS a little bit more. And it just opened my eyes and I was like, oh, my God, this is actually a really serious condition that we should take more serious, that we can do something about it. 
it's not normal to not have a menstrual cycle. It's not normal to um, just be given the contraceptive pill. It's not the way to go. And that sort of sparked my interest. And it was definitely as well, um, just how I was treated a little bit, like just dismissed. And for a while they said to me, oh, it's probably stressed. That's why you don't have a menstrual cycle. They didn't even do blood tests on me um, at the time. And that really what sparked my interest. And I worked um, initially when I was a dietitian, just in hospital settings. And I just found like there is no space for women with PCOS to go. There's no one has any access through the NHS um, to really good specialist care. Um, and that's how I became a private practice dietitian as well, because I just felt like there's nowhere for these people to go. And there's too many um, influencers online that promote things that are not evidence based. And it's always long lists of restrictions and weight loss and really damaging things that I found online as well. That sort of what sparked the interest in the end. Yeah, well, thank you for sharing your story. And it is certainly a topic that there's so much misinformation online, especially around how to manage it. And a lot of what I notice is a lot of like restrictive, especially food restrictive advice out there. But I'm sure as we'll talk much more about today, there's a lot more that we can do to support people and it doesn't have to come down to restriction and and blame as well. I feel like all of this is restrictions and long lists of things that we shouldn't be doing and that we can't do and that we can't have. And PCS is a condition we're going to have for the rest of our lives. So living life like that with a long list of things that we can't do or can't eat is just not a good way to go about it. Yeah, definitely. And as it is a condition that a lot of people don't get accurate advice about, or there's maybe not so much advice out there, or there's a lot of conflicting advice out there, do you want to just maybe explain to the listeners what PCOS is? So PCS is actually a multi-organ condition. Um, it's always associated with fertility, I would say, but um, that's not actually accurate. It's a multi-organ condition that we have for the rest of our lives. It doesn't just go away after we, after menopause, for example. And it's diagnosed based on the Rotterdam criteria. And basically, there are three criteria, and we need to meet two out of them uh, to be diagnosed with PCS. And so the criteria are irregular or absent periods, signs of high androgens and so i use the root androgen here but it's basically testosterone and sometimes people say male sex hormones that's not really accurate we have them as well we just have them in higher levels so the second criteria is signs of high androgens and the last one will be polycystic ovaries on an ultrasound and the really important thing here to note is that about 30 to 40 percent of women have polycystic ovaries that doesn't mean they have polycystic ovarian syndrome so you have to meet two out of those criteria to be diagnosed and sort of the key factors underlying it all is about 70 to 80 percent of women is um, insulin resistance. So that's one of the key factors with PCS. So we have insulin resistance, we have higher androgens than other women, and those two factors will then influence our menstrual cycles. Um, and some of the more common symptoms are irregular periods, acne, um, excess hair on the face or their body, hair loss from the head, and um, skin tags is actually quite common, or darkened skin, um, difficulty falling pregnant, and struggling with the weight throughout their lives as well. I think it's really important that we mention as well that infertility 
is not sort of a given with PCOS. I think a lot of the time there's just so much negativity around it that if women want to fall pregnant, it will be impossible for them. I have sometimes clients that come to me that immediately get told you're going to need IVF. And that's not really the case because the problem is if you only ovulate or have a period once or twice a year, your chances of falling pregnant are just so much lower. So if you work on having a more regular menstrual cycle, a more regular period, you have much better chances of falling pregnant naturally as well. So really working on PCOS can help with that. But even if you didn't want to have a, a child in the future, if this is not on your radar, for example, um, with PCOS, we're more at risk of heart disease at a later later in life and um, be much more at risk of developing diabetes as well and quite at a young age as well. So it's really worth addressing it and managing it throughout the lifestyle it's not just um, to do with fertility and it's definitely something that I've heard people say when they were diagnosed their doctor had maybe put them on the pill and said come back if you want to get pregnant and that was the the extent to it it was an illness that affected their fertility and other maybe potential side effects that some people might experience were treated more as being blamed for them. So things like being a higher weight or insulin resistance, there was a lot of blame placed on these rather than it being seen in a curious way as one of the, the symptoms or just naturally someone's, someone's body being that way. 100%, yeah. And there's so much negativity as well from health professionals, so much misunderstanding, so much weight phobia around it. And really, it is all to do with the weight. And I have a friend who's got PCS, but she has lean PCS. This is not a term I really like. It's just how it's called, lean PCS. So she's basically a normal weight. And every time she walks into a doctor's office, they say to her, no, you do not have PCS. You don't look like somebody who has PCS. And she has to justify it every single time that, yes, she does have it. And she has been diagnosed properly as well. So it's challenging in both ends. So even if you're in a bigger body or if you're in a smaller body, it's just this, this idea that somebody with PCOS is in a bigger body and they have hair growth. Um, so much misunderstanding as well and so much blame to put on the individual as well, which is just not correct. We are, we are Most of the time we'll be sort of born with it and it just sort of gets activated um, either as teenagers or a little bit later in our life. Yeah, so it's not something we did. We weren't born without it and then we were in a bigger body and... Um, Basically, that's what activated our PCS. That's just not accurate. And it really reminds me of the these conditions that are maybe associated with higher weight or there's more people who are in larger bodies with those conditions that we know no condition affects people in just higher weights. But stereotypically, we might think of these conditions, especially when we look at maybe in healthcare, in medical settings, the advices often comes down to, oh, just lose weight. So when someone's in a smaller body, which we know occurs in all conditions as well, sometimes people don't know what to do. Sometimes a health professional doesn't know what to do because the advice has always been around, oh, just lose weight and that will help your symptoms. But this person isn't in a higher weight body and their symptoms are there. Yes, that's true. Absolutely. And I think in the medical community, there's a really big misunderstanding on PCS and there's not much training around it. So even as a dietitian, there was no training about P around PCS. And when I speak to doctors as well, because I usually say like, oh, I'm a dietitian. So they immediately treat me a little bit different when I go in and say like, I'm a 
I'm a dietitian, I work in a hospital, they treat me a little bit differently and they use medical terms with me and I quite appreciate that as well. But even they admit like they have no idea about PCOS that I probably know more than they do, even though I go to them for advice how to manage my condition. And really it is in the international guidelines, it's, yes, there's a lot of emphasis on weight loss as well. And then the other things are sort of the contraceptive pill and maybe metformin for insulin resistance and that's sort of it and i really think the emphasis should be on nutrition and lifestyle and people with pcs should have access to a dietitian as well to get the right support and they should have access to um, a proper specialist doctor as well to get a bit more than just a contraceptive pill if they don't want to use that or it's not right for them i'm curious when you're working with people with pcos what are some of the maybe advice or treatment that people have been given in the past before they come to see you? Um, I would say from a doctor's perspective, it would just be metformin and the contraceptive pill that are sort of two, the two main things. They might be told lose weight, um, eat less, move more. That's pretty much the extent of it um, barely anyone gets a little bit more than that I don't think anyone ever gets offered to see a dietitian either where I work in the NHS they are seen um, in the Ben 5 clinic so Ben 5 clinic is basically like a new grad dietitian that would see them which I find quite challenging because this is not specialized they don't like you're saying you don't learn it at university and then you go and see these at clients or patients that come in through the door so that's really the extent of it but I know a lot of my clients don't get off for the dietitian in the NHS either so they're sort of on their own really um low carb diets are really popular in the space and I think this is a bit challenging because the research has actually shown that moderate carb diets can improve PCOS symptoms so the difference really is between low and moderate, what is actually the difference? And the studies have been done on 30 to 55% of total energy coming from carbohydrates. So half of your total energy will come from carbohydrates, for example, and they could still improve PCS symptoms, which is actually quite a lot. That's a huge difference between a moderate carb diet and a low carb diet. And it's just promoted left, right and center that we need to go on low carb diets, which are really unsustainable. There's actually only been one study that was done on the keto diet. The keto diet is one that is very low in carbohydrates. It often excludes um, fruits, it excludes certain vegetables because they were a bit higher in carbohydrates, for example. And that one study only looked at 11 women with PCOS. Um, and after 24 weeks, so not even very long, um, not even a full year, more than half of these women didn't complete the study. So only five completed the study. Yes, it improved PCS symptoms, 100%. I can't argue that the study did do that, but it just showed that the dropout rate was huge. And it was a pilot study, which means they basically tried, will it work? Can we do it again in, with more participants? And they never did a bigger study based on that because they realized the dropout rate was just too much. So it just emphasizes again that keto is a little bit hard to maintain for most people. And of course, if you want to do that, then you can say that, yes, you can live on a low carb diet for the rest of your life, of course. Um, but I haven't met anyone who can actually say that they could live like that for the rest of their life. And it's it's really hard to manage if you're eating out, if you're traveling, if you have a family, all these kind of things are really, really hard to manage. So I usually um, emphasize more a moderate carb diet. So really looking at what are your carb sources um, in your diet? Where are they coming from? How often do you eat them during the day? What is the portion size? And try to adjust things based on that. Yeah, that's such an important point you raise as well, just because something might be helpful 
in isolation, it doesn't mean that that fits actually in with the rest of our life. It doesn't mean that it's going to be helpful as part of our life, which is made up of much more than those those eating experiences. And actually food has a much bigger role in our life than just the nutrients and energy it's providing. Food is, as you mentioned, a part of our family life, our social life. It's maybe a part of our, for some people, our work life or work functions or giving us the ability to engage in work tasks. And when it comes to the keto diet as well, you are supposed to be on such a low carb diet, but PCS can actually cause carb cravings. So I just hope from people that have been on the keto diet before they come and see me, like they really struggle with it. All they can think about is carbohydrates all day long and they almost go crazy with it. Like they literally just think about carbs and trying to think what could be the next meal they can have. And they're just so obsessed with food by the end of it. And it's really, really sad because that's just not a way to live for anyone. Definitely. And when we think of things like cravings, especially things like carbohydrate cravings, it can be seen as such a negative light and, oh, you just don't have the willpower to get through. But even for people without PCOS, it's really normal to crave things like carbohydrates or whatever food we're restricting, but carbohydrates, especially because they are the body's preferred energy source. And if we're limiting our preferred energy source, which is so important for our body, our our body has Um, neurotransmitters specifically designed to make us crave carbohydrates if we're not getting enough because they're so important it's not because we don't have the willpower or whatever other way it's framed yeah absolutely I mean I tried keto once before just because it was um, part of university we had to try some kind of diet that was popular at the time it was keto I managed like a day and I was like this is not for me I can't do this um so definitely I think our body knows what's best for it. And I don't think low carb is that for most people. Yeah, exactly. And most of the time our body can help to guide us. And there might be some times, some conditions or sometimes in our life that our body needs a little bit of extra support. And PCOS can be one of those times that we need a little extra support or to bring some of our knowledge, our food knowledge, our kind of body knowledge into it but that doesn't mean it has to overtake what our body is also asking for. And you mentioned before as well that weight loss is one of the most common advice or recommendations given to people when they're diagnosed with PCOS attempts. And what we see in general research around weight loss is that dieting or these like attempts to lose weight, they, for the vast majority of people, it doesn't work long-term. And when we look at actual long-term research, we see that if people do lose weight on the diet in the short term, the weight actually goes back on longer term. Is there any research maybe into PCOS and weight loss that shows any effects on PCOS through weight loss, especially longer term? Um, So studies have shown that a 5 to 10% reduction in weight can significantly improve PCOS symptoms. I find this quite a challenging research. So I really looked at the numbers when it came to those to those studies and the numbers were minimal so it was they were talking about two or three kgs for example in some of those studies and i just don't believe that a two to three reduction two to three kg reduction in weight can actually make such a big impact in pcs i personally think it has much more to do with the changes we have made to try and lose that weight so maybe we eat a bit more regularly make we make sure we have more protein in our diet we modify things we might move a little bit more we might manage our stress a little bit more i think all these things are have much bigger impact than just a number on the scales 
Um, I've noticed it with my um, my own experience with PCS as well. So the, the number on the scale never made any difference to my PCS symptoms. I'm now in a bigger weight than I was when I was diagnosed, but my PCS symptoms are actually really well controlled. I have a 30-day cycle. I have no issues with hair. I'm a tiny bit of acne, but nothing major. And I think it's just sort of this emphasis on the number on the scales, exactly like you're saying, a lot of people then try to lose weight and it's really hard to do that with PCS. It's hard to do for anyone, but even harder for someone with PCS that might have um, slightly slower metabolism, for example. And that pursuit of weight loss can be really damaging long term to our relationship with food. Um, Yo-yo dieting is incredibly common in PCS. And some people come to me and they were told by health professionals to go on an 800 or 1,000 calorie diet to try and lose weight. Um, and of course, it doesn't work. Your body goes into starvation mode. And it's just so unbelievably damaging for somebody like that. And it really comes from the society's pressures that we, we need to be a certain size. We need to look a certain way. And it's really hard for someone with PCOS to lose weight um, and do it in a way that would be sustainable as well, that they could maintain long term. Yeah, and that's a really important point as well. When we look at studies into weight loss, we know that longer term, most of them are cut off after, say, less than a year. Um, and when we do look at them longer term, we see a trend back the other direction, not because of willpower, just because that's the way our bodies are designed to survive. But also what we see is weight being the focus when we're looking at maybe health outcomes and then not considering all of the other changes that have happened. And I know there's plenty of studies as well, not specifically on PCOS, but looking at health behaviours rather than weight loss. And we see that with or without weight loss for people that these health behaviours, um, a change in health behaviours do make a difference for, for people regardless of weight loss. So I'd be curious as well if, if these studies haven't actually separated or taken into account the, the different behaviours used, then are they really showing that, that weight loss has had an effect or are they showing that changing maybe certain behaviours and having that advice as well to support their PCOS is maybe supporting them in, in their symptoms? Yeah, definitely. Um, really, the ones I looked at, it was very much the focus was on weight. But then you read what they did. They did so many interventions. They really helped these participants to try and understand their condition, to change their eating pattern, to move. Um, and then they said, like, oh, it's this KG weight loss that made a difference um, without putting any emphasis on all the other interventions that they actually did during those studies. And yes, all these studies are incredibly short as well. I don't know if a single PCS study that is sort of over five or 10 years, because no studies usually are, but that would be really, really interesting to see what is actually happening as well. The thing that strikes me too with this sort of five to 10% reduction is you might have someone who is told to lose, say, five kilograms to meet that five to 10% reduction. But then you'll have someone who is already at that five kilograms lower, so who's already at that person's baseline, and they're still told to lose that five to 10%. And everyone's kind of told to lose this, this same amount. And it's just, where do, we, where do we go from there? Someone can maybe lose that amount and then be told later that they need to lose another five to 10%. 
hundred percent. Like, I, where, where is the end really with those five percent? Where, where do you start? Where is the end with it? And I, I think most people are told exactly the same thing. Like, if you just lose five to ten percent, your PCS will be gone, and it's just not accurate. And I do have clients that are in a lower body weight and they're still told this exactly the same thing as well. So, it's just sort of like it's almost like a broken record. It's like, okay, just go on the pill, come back when you want to fall pregnant, and lose five to ten percent of your body weight and eat less and move more. Like, this is just what it is, and it's just. It, it's not it's not a good advice it's not something that people can follow based on that and it's also not what the research has shown in pcs and another thing that that does really strike me with this kind of research in general and i think specifically around pcos because of other blame that are put on people's bodies is the research into weight loss interventions very rarely looks into maybe the harm caused from their intervention. So they might be a small number of people who have lost weight, but they don't look at the harm to people's relationship with food and their body that is maybe caused by the the interventions they're putting out. So this distrust with their body, having to fight against their body. And then with PCOS, I imagine that could be emphasized even more because people are told their body is essentially wrong or it's not doing what what's expected or what's ideal for them. How so when we look at people with PCOS, how is their people's maybe in general their relationship with food and body, how does that compare with maybe the general population? I think it's pretty bad and it's really sad research to read, to be honest. Um, so depending a bit which study you look at, um, in preparation for this, I tried to find the studies again and every single study that looks at this gives a completely different number. But they estimate somewhere between 27 and 50% of women with PCS have anxiety or depression. And really worrying as well, about 6 to 50% have disordered eating pattern, especially binge eating disorder. And... With the anxiety and depression, yes, there's definitely a link with PCS, but I think with the disordered eating pattern, it very much comes from this distrust um, in their body and trying to lose weight all their life and being told all their life, you just need to lose weight, your symptoms will go away and they're restricting. Life happens and they overeat or even binge on something that they previously restricted because this is how our body works, this is how cravings happen. And it's quite damaging and I really want to avoid people going down that route. Um, the amount of clients I see that say like, oh, by the way, yeah, I had some issues with my food in the past. I had a really poor relationship with food in the past. It's really, really common. Um, it's really common in females anyway, um, but I think in the PCS population even more so. Um, like I mentioned before, PCS can cause really major carb cravings as well. And then again, it goes down that route where you feel like you don't have the willpower. You can't just cut out the carbs, but really you've got carb cravings anyway. It's your body's survival mechanism and it's not you. It's not your willpower that hasn't worked um, in this situation. I would also say PCS can cause fatigue. Um, so sometimes I have clients that used to be in the past, they wanted to go to gym, for example, and they did one of those 12-week programs at the gym and they really struggled to keep up with it and they just feel like failures because everyone else in the class can keep up with those five six sessions a week and they just struggle so much but it may actually be that their pcs is just telling them like actually no this is too much i can't keep up with it and you may just need to prioritize your sleep a little bit more in this situation um, women with PCS have higher levels of cortisol a stress hormone as well and so we're less able to manage stress so if we then adding more stress to our lives by trying to lose weight or moving more because that's what the doctors told us um it could then worsen again our relationship with food it could worsen our mental health and increase our stress levels which 
is really not helpful in PCOS in the long run. Definitely. And there's certainly an idea in, in our culture that moving more and eating less is, is what's healthy or what's best, but often it's, it's the opposite that our body needs. Rest is just as important as movement. Eating enough is, is certainly very, very important and just as important as not eating quote unquote too much. But when we're surrounded with these messages, we can feel that we, we should be eating less. We should be moving more and go kind of the opposite way, which is not helpful for our body. It's not supportive for our body as well. Especially, I would say, for females as well, um, there can be a risk of losing your menstrual cycle from under-eating or over-exercising. And importantly, that happens at any body weight. Um, I had a client who desperately, desperately tried to get her, her periods back, and she was restricting so much. Um, and it, she, she lost her menstrual cycle um, in her late 30s. It just disappeared. It wasn't menopause. They knew that. Um, and they just said to her, like, you know go on keto basically and try paleo do something about it and she restricted so much and she came to me and we worked on increasing her food intake and within three months she got her menstrual cycle back which is incredible because it just showed for her her body wasn't having enough nutrition and I think some people are misdiagnosed as well with PCS when really they have amenorrhea from another cause and it could be under eating or over exercising and your body just doesn't have enough energy to produce men uh, the menstrual cycle hormones, basically. Yep, definitely. That's such an important point. And amenorrhea, which is a loss of period, is very often misdiagnosed. And often people do are just not eating enough because our culture really emphasizes that not eating enough or moving too much. And especially when people are in a higher body weight than than maybe what the doctor is is using based on on the BMI, which we know doesn't isn't an accurate measurement of where someone's body should sit, people can very commonly be misdiagnosed with the reason for their, their periods missing. But anyone at any body size, if we're not eating enough to support our body, we can affect our, our hormones. Speaking of, of movement as well, I know sometimes people might hear that people with PCOS should do certain types of movement or avoid other types of movement. Is there any research around that or is that is that helpful advice to be maybe moving in a certain way according to these generalized messages or is it a bit more complex than that? I think it's a lot more complex, especially um, I always read online that women with PCS shouldn't do high intensity training. Um, and the argument is that high intensity training increases our stress hormones and we just shouldn't do that. But that's not actually true. So the studies have shown that high intensity training can actually improve PCS symptoms. Um, interestingly, a lot of those um, research um, studies that have been done on exercise or movement have actually shown that in the absence of weight loss, it can improve PCS symptoms. So what I usually say to people, if they love high intensity exercise, if it makes them feel good and they come out of the gym and they absolutely love it, um, it's the right exercise for them. It's, it's perfect for them. But if they come out of the gym and they feel awful and exhausted and they have a really busy life, stressful jobs, for example, it might not be the right approach for them. So I really think when it comes to movement, we need to find something that we absolutely love and we do for our own well-being, for our mental health, for example, rather than for weight loss. And then we pick something that that we love and we feel like we can do for the rest of our lives as well so studies really have shown that any kind of movement um, it can be high intensity it can be strength training it can be re restorative like yoga for example 
all these types of movements can actually improve PCS symptoms. Um, and strength training in particular is great because it can improve um, insulin resistance, for example. So really important to just do what you love. And if somebody asks me, like, I like all kinds of exercise, what should I do? And I usually say, like, try to find a mix, so a little bit of higher intensity, a little bit something restorative like yoga and definitely some strength training in there as well. But if you hate strength training, try to find something else that you love. It could be Pilates, it could be yoga, and just start with that. Yeah, such great advice. If we're not enjoying it, then it's going to be more stressful when trying to keep it up and we're a lot less likely to, to stick with it. So we've been speaking a lot about maybe what people are, are told to do that. That isn't actually helpful or might not be helpful for everyone. If we're going to be considering someone's actual PCOS symptoms and helping them to manage those and improve the quality of their life, what is available to those with PCOS? What, what's maybe helpful or more supportive advice? I love to say, what can we add more of in our diet rather than saying like we need to restrict something. So usually I say what we can add more of is generally protein, fat and fiber. Um, protein is brilliant because it doesn't affect our blood sugar levels. Um, women with PCS do really well with protein and fats as well. And fiber is fantastic for our gut health and for our blood sugar management as well. So I usually say, what can we add more? Um, if we can work on carbohydrates, then I would say let's choose um, whole grain carbohydrates most of the time. So like multigrain bread, brown pasta, or even better lentil pasta, for example. And that doesn't need to be all the time. It doesn't mean we can never eat the croissant, for example. It's just most of the time I would say let's pick the whole grain carbohydrates and pair them with protein, fat and fiber. It just gives you a different thinking rather than like, okay, let me restrict the carbs. We sort of start thinking about what can we add and we add the protein, the, the fat and the fiber. Um, I would say sort of an overall anti-inflammatory eating pattern can be helpful as well. Um, there's some arguments that women with PCOS have higher levels of inflammation. It always shows up on my blood tests. I can't do anything about it. Um, in the past, I was always told, oh, you must have had just a flu or something. And I, I didn't in the past, like... I always had raised inflammatory markers and they're definitely much better in the last year or two when I really focused on this as well. So an anti-inflammatory eating pattern is really the Mediterranean diet, lots of colorful fruits and vegetables, um, seafood, for example, a little bit of meat if you eat that, um, whole grains and legumes such as chickpeas and lentils, for example. So that's a great overall eating pattern to follow. Um, and we might also work at meal spacing and timing. So making sure you actually fuel your body regularly throughout the day and you give your body what it needs. So not like waking up in the morning and sort of running out of the door with a cup of coffee, for example, but fueling regularly and looking at meal spacing and timing as well. And is there maybe for someone with PCOS who is has quite a busy life it's a lot to take on board all of these different changes. Is there like one thing that you might recommend to start with or recommend to for that person to think about to, to help the feeling of overwhelm that might come with lots of different advice? I, I really don't like food rules, but I would say don't skip breakfast. Of course, that doesn't mean you can never skip breakfast, but I would say in general, try not to skip breakfast. So if you're somebody who wakes up in the morning and you just don't feel hungry, try to think about why this might be. Is it because you eat quite late at night? Um, is it because you're really frazzled in the morning and you just run out of the door with a cup of coffee? Do you fill up with cups of coffees and drinks and things like that? And um, I think a protein rich breakfast can really help 
help with our blood sugar levels as well. It can really help with our energy levels as well. If you feel you have a little bit of a slump at 4 p.m. in the afternoon and that's when you reach for something from the vending machine or you need some chocolate or you just need some carbs in your life, you can definitely also start thinking about like what do you actually have for breakfast? Could we change something there to give you the fuel that you need so that your body gets through the day without needing to reach for the carbohydrates at 4 p.m. in the afternoon? Um, there was a study actually that was quite interesting. So they recruited a group of women with lean PCOS. Again, I just want to say I don't like that word. It's just what they call it in the, in the research as well. So these were women with sort of a healthy, normal BMI with quotes there. Um, and they changed their eating patterns. So basically, they gave both groups of women the same amount of calories and energy throughout the day. But one group had a small breakfast, a medium lunch and a very large dinner, which is the pattern many of us have. And the other group had a very large breakfast, a medium lunch and a small dinner. And that simple change actually improved PCS markers. So those who had a large breakfast and a smaller dinner had much improved PCS markers at the end of the study. So this is really interesting. So again, it just shows like it's not necessary to just restrict energy or calories, for example, but even meal timings can make a difference as well. So I, I do like to work on having a regular breakfast as well when you get up in the morning. And I think breakfast can be a meal that's quite maybe hard to fit in for a lot of people. Um, it's, it feels, especially when we're surrounded by diet culture messages, it can feel like um, an easy way to maybe, quote unquote, reduce the, the calories we're having during the day when we've got that pressure on us. And that, yeah, can be great advice for, I think, for anyone, but especially people with PCOS whose bodies do need that bit of extra support to, to have the energy for the day and to be providing our body with, with what it needs. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think especially with fasting as well, a lot of people skip breakfast because that's what they're told. But then when you ask them, do you actually enjoy it? Do you really not get hungry? A lot of people say like, no, actually, I do get hungry. I would like to have breakfast. Is it okay for me to have breakfast? And I think this is really where we're heading towards as well. It's all about the intermittent fasting, really. And people start um, with, you know, they give up their breakfast, really. But I think for PCS, that's not great advice. And speaking of not great advice, there's a lot of conflicting advice around PCOS, especially when it comes to food. Are there any considerations around food that we haven't already spoken about that someone should be aware of? Yes, I would definitely say um, gluten-free and dairy-free is really heavily promoted online. There's a very large Instagram account that promotes that as the main intervention. So people with PCS should just go gluten-free and dairy-free. And this is not actually correct. There's no scientific data that suggests we need to go gluten-free or dairy-free. I think when people follow this advice, the reason why it sort of works for them is because they have to start thinking about what is in their food. Most packaged foods will contain either gluten or dairy, and so they have to start cooking um, at home a little bit more. They have to make their meals from scratch. They have to be more aware of what they're putting in their food. I think that change really is quite important and that's probably what improves the symptoms for a lot of people um, they have gut issues as well so for example gut issues are a little bit more common in women with PCS than those without and for example if you go gluten-free and dairy-free um, there are certain carbohydrates found in gluten in gluten containing foods and in lactose containing foods that can cause bloating. So if you go gluten-free and dairy-free, it's not the gluten that is the problem, but it's the carbohydrates in wheat products that can increase that bloating. So if, if you're one of these people who's sensitive to those foods and you go gluten-free and dairy-free, it makes it just make you feel a lot better. And you feel like this is the solution. It just made me feel better. But I, I think 
it's not really just the gluten or the dairy. So I don't think those blanket rules that we can't have these things are helpful for anyone. So I usually speak to clients about what the evidence says, what for them might be appropriate um, to do. And I definitely don't think we need to be gluten or dairy free with PCOS. Yeah, it's great advice. And as we've spoken about earlier, it's we don't eat in isolation. Food isn't just nutrients and fuel. We've got to consider how it affects the rest of our life, how it affects eating out, say, with other people, cooking with our family, all of these things, and how it can also affect our relationship with food as well, especially longer term. I think people are often drawn as well to um, quite simple rules. So gluten-free, dairy-free is so much simpler than if you look at really big aspects of your life when it comes to PCS management. So it's, it's a really simple thing to follow, but it's just not something we should be following, honestly. I think, I think we need to dig a little bit deeper to find out what can improve our PCS symptoms. But it's just a simple advice. And I'm not surprised that Instagram account is very popular because people are like, oh, this is the solution to my PCS. It's just so simple to do that as well. And I think that's why people are drawn to it. And it can, of course, it can sound simple. It's just this one simple thing or this couple of simple changes that we can do. It can sound simple. Maybe it can be simple to start with. But when we consider the wider role of food in our life, how that's actually going to affect our eating with family, our social eating, all of these things, and our relationship with food as well, our relationship with food and our body. And for a lot of people, it's it's not likely to solve all of their their symptoms, <laughs> solve in, in quotation marks. It's especially longer term, it's not likely to be this cure and that can also place blame back on the body as well. Yes, I completely agree with that as well. It sounds simple and it can become so disordered after many, many years when you follow this, this advice and so many food rules associated with it as well. Are there any specific nutrients that someone with PCOS may need to be a bit more aware of or that can be supportive? Um, yes, there's a few. And um, people always ask me, what's the one food I should ex include for PCS? And that's really hard to answer, to be honest. But there's a few that I would say are really important. Um, so omega-3, for example, which is found in oily fish and in, in sort of like salmon, mackerel, sardines, those kind of fish can really help with PCS symptoms. So if you're a fish eater, I would have one or two servings of those per week. Um, if you're not a fish eater, if you're vegetarian or vegan, I would actually supplement with an algae supplement when it comes to that. But I also want to mention, I don't want to give supplement advice on, on a podcast. It's really important that you speak to a good healthcare provider that can help you a little bit. But omega-3s are really important. They can help with PCS symptoms. Um, zinc is another one that can be really important. It can help prevent hair loss from the head and it can reduce hair growth on the face. Um, and the studies have shown that women with PCS tend to have lower zinc levels. Um, I actually found that in myself as well. I had an endocrinologist that was able to do a zinc blood test for me, which is not available through GPs, unfortunately. And my levels were quite low at the time as well. And I had terrible shedding. I was shedding my hair. It was just dropping out left, right and center. Um, and it, I'd improved significantly with time. And zinc is found in normally animal proteins. So this is something for vegetarians or vegans to be mindful of. Um, and you can also find zinc in pumpkin seeds and cashews in legumes and whole grains, for example. Um, let me just talk about legumes and whole grains. Whole grains. Um, magnesium is one that can be really helpful as well. That is found in many, many, many plant foods and it can help with inflammation. So if you have enough plant foods in the diet, so legumes, whole grains, um, nuts and seeds, fruits and vegetables, that can help with your magnesium levels as well. 
Um, and the last one I would say is vitamin D. Um, so vitamin D has shown to improve PCS symptoms as well. Um, it can be um, involved in mood regulation as well. Um, it's needed for immunity. It's a really important one. We are all deficient of vitamin D in winter in the UK if you don't supplement. So that's another one I would recommend supplementing in winter and making sure we get the safe sunlight in summer so we get enough vitamin D. Um, oh, I can actually mention another one. Um, I don't know if you've heard of spearmint tea. That's really popular in the PCS space. Um, there's some studies that have shown one to two cups of spearmint tea can reduce hair growth um, from the face and the body. And I found that in, in my own practice as well that helps a lot of people so if you enjoy spearmint tea um having a few cups a day can really help with that as well so not so much like which is the one food that would that i would include but um some of those foods i just mentioned such as omega-3 rich seafood plant foods nuts and seeds um spearmint tea and um, they can help with pcos as well yeah that's such helpful information and one thing that strikes me as well is when we're just given advice that's maybe focused on dieting and weight loss then we're also cutting out potentially a lot of these foods that are really valuable to us to help with our symptoms as well again it's all about what can be added what can we actually add to our eating pattern that can improve our symptoms it's just it's a much more positive approach than saying like what can we cut out well it's a long list of food that we can't eat for the rest of our lives and it just helps with our eating patterns, our relationship with food, our mental health. It's much more positive than giving people lists of what they shouldn't do and shouldn't eat. Definitely. Yeah. Thank you so much, Cordelia. This information you provided has been so helpful and I'm sure that there'll be many people who find this information helpful or maybe it's even the first time that someone with PCOS has heard um, a different maybe approach to, to managing their symptoms. So thank you so much. And where can people find you to, to learn more from you? People can find me on my website and social media and Facebook and Instagram. It's just Women's Health Dietitian and the website is womenshealthdietitian.com. Perfect. Nice and easy. Very easy. Yes, it's all the same. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me, Emma. It was really, really good talking about this as well. If you have gotten something from today's episode, hit follow to see upcoming episodes and interact with myself and today's guest on Instagram at food.life.freedom. To help more people eat without guilt and feel at peace in their body, leave a five-star review and share with your community by clicking the three-dot symbol at the bottom of the episode. For show notes and references, head to foodlifefreedom.com forward slash podcast. And to learn how you can get personalized support with my three-month Reclaiming Your Food Freedom program, head to foodlifefreedom.com. See you next week. 